Blog Talk Radio. We are vibrational beings. You know, we're not just flesh and blood. You know, uh, if you put anything under a microscope, an intense microscope, you're going to ultimately see that everything is vibration. And, in, and as the scientists are not telling us, there's information there. But it's not solid. It's always moving. So we're vibrational beings. And when we lift our vibration to what we want to experience, it happens first on a vibratory level. And then it shows up and manifests in our life. So uh, people who are holding on to rancor, animosity, mm-hmm. they're slowing down their vibration. Okay. Another way of saying is you cannot have what you're not willing to become vibrationally. Ah. If you do get it, you'll lose it. Ah. You see, this is why people, they'll win the lottery, they, <laughs> they lose everything, yes. or they'll finally get the person they think they Absolutely. want to be with. They can't keep the, can't keep the relationship or... They'll get a modicum of success but can't hold on to it because inside they weren't vibrationally aligned. They really hadn't become it. So you can temporarily manipulate and get things, but to have it completely, you have to lift your vibration and and become that in, in, in vibration. You're not really attracting things to you. You're really radiating. Ah, it's really a radiation. I could cry right now. It's like if I become the vibrational frequency of love, Harmony, peace, and I'm radiating that. That's the key. It's going to show up in my life. That's the key. That's the word. You're not attracting it. You have to be it and radiate it, and then it it comes, it is drawn to you. Right. From you to it. Yeah. You have to like yourself when you're by yourself. Yeah. You have to like yourself. I mean, when when you're by yourself, you have to look at those thoughts, the beautiful thoughts, the crazy thoughts. Mm -hmm. You have to embrace yourself. You have to forgive yourself. You have to love yourself. And when you can fall in love with yourself and like yourself when you're by yourself, now you can be with others. But if you don't like yourself when you're by yourself, then you're pulling on others to make you happy. Is it possible to life vision when you're at the bottom? Not only is it possible, that's probably the best time to do it. When circumstances and situations are pressing in upon us, the only way we can overcome them is to go within to actually begin to ask very empowering questions with the awareness that this universal presence and its law will answer any question that you ask. So if you're in a situation that uh, is pressing on you and you ask, what's trying to emerge in my life? What is my gift to share? Mm. What is my purpose? Why am I here on the planet? Not just how can I pay my rent, not just how can I stop the pain. You ask empowering questions The universe will answer these questions in a language and in a way that you can understand. There'll be inner prompting, there'll be intuitive hits, nudges, signs, symbols, dreams. It'll come in the language of the the, the individual soul and heart. The difficulty is that when people are in tough situations, they ask disempowering questions. They say, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. Who's to blame? Why Why me? me? Those are the disempowering questions. So the universe will answer those too. It'll pull on the database of human experience and say you were born on the wrong side of the tracks or you were born on the right side of the tracks or you, this happened or that happened. It'll give you a a, a bevy of excuses. But if you ask an empowering question, you'll get an answer to rise above the muck. So it's all about the question, the sincerity of the question, and then the ability and the willingness to, to really listen, to really be available. 
that, that's where the juice is. And that is available to every human being. Whether an individual is in prison, whether an individual is imprisoned by circumstance, imprisoned in their own mind about an event that happened in their past, it doesn't matter. Once you ask with sincerity, the universe will answer. That's, that's the way it operates. You know, it goes back to asking the question. Yeah. And it, but it also goes back to understanding that the presence of God has never made a mistake, yeah. doesn't do do-overs, and doesn't repeat itself. Yeah. Therefore, each of us are unique expressions of the infinite. The way the infinite gets to express its infinite nature is through its uniqueness. Yeah. Therefore, I have a mandate to discover myself, yeah. find out who and what I am, what my purpose is, and to express it. And that, and that idea within us yeah. is infinite and is always unfolding. So it's not a one and done. It's not, I've arrived. Mm -hmm. It's, I'm always on a journey of unfolding. You grow where you're planted. You grow where you're planted. And, and then you ask, what's trying to emerge? What's trying to unfold? And you'll start to get hints. You start to take baby steps walking in that direction. And as you take baby steps, inertia becomes momentum. Mm -hmm. And then possibilities start to reveal themselves. Potential starts to be activated. And, and you find yourself, as you look back, wow, I'm changed. I'm different. Yeah. When did that happen? You have to be in alignment with it. You have to have a level of practice. You have to give up your resistance to the circumstance. In other words, you're, it's, you're not arguing and resisting the with the circumstance. Yeah. I know this person said, I prayed. I did that. God <laughs> hadn't answered me yet. Yeah. This is the deal. God is always answering. Yes. But are we receiving? Are we listening? Are we available? Yeah. So prayer, meditation, life visioning, it attunes us to become in alignment yeah. with that vibration. So we actually can hear it. We can actually feel it and then move in that direction. Many people, uh, if their prayers would be answered, they couldn't even receive it. They're not, they're not vibrationally ready. Victim consciousness is where many people live. Yeah. Somebody did it to me. The reason why I'm not happy is because they just make, you know, my ex-boyfriend, my boss. The world isn't fair. The world isn't fair. They're doing it to me. The reason why I'm not happy is somebody else's fault. Mm -hmm. God did it to me. The devil did it to me. My astrological sign did it to me. The numbers did it my to mother. me. My mother. My karma. Yeah. Okay. That's the victim stage. Every victim has a victim story. You ask somebody, a victim, what's going on, they'll give you a list of complaints about what's wrong and who did it. Fannie Lou Hamer once said, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, something happens and you start to open up to a possibility that maybe, maybe I'm in my own way. Maybe there's something more than, than what meets the eye. You're going to need something that is not within your little mind and your little perception. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where meditation comes in. That's where life visioning comes in. So if you just said, help, I'm open. I'm available to something new. Now you're on your way. Yeah. Help is a prayer. Help, help is a prayer. Yeah. I, I say, when I use the word help, I say, hello, eternal, loving presence. That's what help means to me. Yeah. Hello, eternal, eternal loving, loving presence. Wow, that's a good one. Back in the day when the Bodhi tree existed and a book fell off the shelf. Just, I walked in and the book just slammed on the floor off the shelf. 
And it was exactly what I needed to read at that time. And so I learned about manifestation. I learned about the second stage, which is how to manifest, which is establishing intention, beginning to see visually the kind of life you want to uh, live, beginning to have conversation about that kind of life. I tell people you have to talk about it more than you talk about your problems because at the end of the day, if you're complaining more than you're talking about your vision, yeah. then you're in inertia. So this is a shift that takes place where you're actually talking about the possibilities mm-hmm. more than you're talking about your issues. Yeah. You don't deny the issues. Bad things have happened to people. You're not denying that those things have happened. But it's the energy that you give to it. That yes. is a definite true fact. If you start talking about somebody or you're engaged in a conversation where you're gossiping, before long, you're spiraling down. Energy goes into those lower frequencies. Yep. Doubt, worry, fear. All, now you're in, you're in that sediment. Mm-hmm. You're in that dynamic. Mm-hmm. But if you start talking about possibility, even, even if you don't know how to get there, then your energy starts to go up. Mm-hmm. You know, what if you ask a what if question? You know, what if, what if all my needs were met? What would I be doing in my life? What if everything is really working together for my good? What if all the bad things that have happened in my life are leading me to activating some great potential in my, in my experience? Mm-hmm. What if God really is on my side? Yeah. You know, you ask a what if question and you start to notice little tiny miracles happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Things start to manifest. You don't know how they got there. The, the primary dark night of the soul is when you're losing your identification yeah. with your previous identity, but you don't yet have an identification with what's new emerging. You're mm-hmm. in That's good. the dark. That's good. You don't know. Uh, you, you, you knew this is who you used to be, yeah. but you're not that anymore. But who you're becoming, you're not that either. So it's dark. It's really... And sometimes it's excruciating. Sometimes it's a lot of fear, a lot of disconnect. And I, I, I tell people that when you're going through that, mm-hmm. tell them to ask this question. If this experience were to last forever, yeah. what quality would have to emerge for me to have peace of mind? Ooh. So if you ask that question, and you say, oh, if, I, if, I, if, I, if, this, if this particular experience was going to last forever, I would, need, I would need some strength, I would need some, some peace, I would need a little bit more, you know, name whatever quality. And what happens is, when your attention starts focusing on that quality, rather than resisting the dark night, then the process is speeded up. And your identification, you move through it, you move it, through it faster. Yeah. Pain pushes until the vision pulls. So, life is progressive, and it's pushing you, yeah until you get pulled by a larger vision. So once you have a vision that you can articulate. Okay, so pain pushes you, so it get, it's hard, it's harder, it's harder, it's harder, and it's trying to force you into having a vision, a vision yes. that's bigger than, than, than the, the pain. pain. And that's a principle. Potential is always bigger than the problem. Potential is always bigger than the problem. Your potential is infinite and is always bigger than whatever problem you're going through. You begin to have a, a, a vision about the possibility. Mm-hmm. You start to be pulled by it. And then 
once you really sincerely embrace it yeah. and your life begins to be, okay, when I wake up this morning, I'm going to walk in the direction of my purpose. I'm going to walk in the direction of my vision. I'm going to walk in the direction of that possibility and the potential yes. instead of allowing myself to go, oh, woe is me, or I can't believe, or that. Right. I'm going to walk in the... The cosmic yeah. two-by-four doesn't need to hit you as much. Wow. You're pulled. You're being pulled more by joy, and it's like... I'm being pulled by some, something. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges. Of course. Of course. We don't, we don't, we're not praying to live a challenge-free life. We're praying that the challenges that come activate latent potential. Understanding that pain pushes until vision pulls. Ask what-if questions. Yes. Begin to see, visualize the kind of life you want to live. Mm -hmm. Begin to talk about it. Begin to write it down. Begin to dream about it. And then what I, what I teach is... You talk about it. doesn't mean you talk to everybody because everyone is not trustworthy. That's right. You talk to selected friends. About it. About it. You talk to it. Uh -huh. You actually talk to the vision. Talk to the possibility. Talk to love. You talk to peace. You talk to prosperity. I see you everywhere. I see you prosperity in the lawn. I see you abundance on the, in the grain of the sand. I see you everywhere. Mm -hmm. You talk to it. And then after a while... You're talking from it. Let's first take a look at the ratification of the amendment, because this is a matter of controversy that um, it got me into a lot of trouble for raising it in uh, the Reconstruction chapter of my, my American History book. But I'm only repeating a, a totally mainstream interpretation. I found it hilarious. People never even heard of this before. The argument that the 14th Amendment was not constitutionally ratified. I mean, this, the old National Review used to just take this for granted. I mean, old, you know, old conservative publications, libertarians, all, all understood this. Uh, in the 1950s, U.S. News and World Report published an editorial saying, of course, we all know the 14th Amendment wasn't legitimately ratified. I mean, this was just sort of common knowledge. Now I say it today and I get like Max Boot saying, oh my gosh, where did Woods get this crazy idea? Like I just invented it. Sort of funny. Well, let's look at, at what is the claim being made here. There are a few factors to take note of when we look at the ratification of the 14th Amendment. First, we have the fact that uh, to, the, the amendment was proposed in Congress and two-thirds of, of, of the people present voted to, uh, to, to approve the amendment. And then it gets... Then it gets passed. It gets uh, sent out to the states, and then three quarters of the states have to ratify the amendment for it to uh, take effect. Well, one thing we can note about the passage of the Fourteenth Amendment is that it was not, shall we say, entirely without blemish. At the time that the amendment was uh, set to be voted on and, and discussed, John P. Stockton was a newly elected senator from New Jersey. And he was known to be an opponent of the 14th Amendment. And he took his seat, duly took his seat in the U.S. Senate at the beginning of the 39th Congress. Well, informal canvassing of, of uh, senators made quite clear that there was no two-thirds majority in favor of the amendment at that time. Uh, in fact, it turned out that the amendment would have been one vote short of passage. So, a motion was introduced uh, not to seat John Stockton. But he's already been seated. This is the problem. He's already been seated. 
So you can't really vote not to seat somebody who has been seated. If he's been seated you're supposed, and you want to get rid of him for one reason or another, you have to vote to expel him. But expulsion requires uh, a two-thirds vote. They didn't have a two-thirds vote to expel him. So they voted not to seat somebody who had already been seated. Okay? I mean, it's sort of like, you know, how can something be both A and not A at the same time and in the same manner? So they voted not to seat this man who had already been seated. Uh, and then they went ahead and voted to approve the 14th Amendment. Now that's, you know, it's really not legal. It's right, not, not a proper procedure. But that's, that's actually the least of the problems associated with the amendment. Then it goes out to the states. Now Tennessee ratifies the amendment. But here's how Tennessee ratified the amendment. The problem that was occurring in Tennessee was that opponents of the amendment were refusing to show up at the state house uh, and thereby preventing a quorum. Okay, I mean, you have to have a certain minimum number of people present in order to conduct business. Well, opponents of the amendment thought one way to prevent its ratification is just not to show up, and then they wouldn't have a quorum. Well, in order to get a quorum, uh, two of the anti-amendment Tennessee legislators were actually kidnapped and forcibly brought to the state house and, re and declared to be present so that the vote could take place. Now, there are some sticklers, you know, who think that kidnapping is immoral, uh, you know, who, who would throw, you know, some doubt on this, the legality of this. And the f thing is that when, the, when the, the House Speaker called the roll, well, these two uh, representatives refused to answer. They refused to, to, to say they were present because in their mind, they weren't, you know, spiritually, they weren't present. They were only there, uh, uh, you know, under duress, I mean, really by force. So they refused to answer the roll, but nevertheless, they were declared present so that the, the, the amendment could be ratified. In Oregon, there was a, a situation that was at least as irregular as that one. In Oregon, you had a case where the legislature of Oregon voted on the amendment, and they voted to approve the amendment. But then it was discovered that two of the Republicans who had been elected in Oregon had actually not been legally elected. When they actually looked again at the votes, it turned out that Democrats had been elected in those two seats. So two Republicans were removed, replaced by two duly elected Democrats. So some people thought, well, we should re-vote on, on the amendment now, that we have the legitimately elected people present. This time they voted not to approve the amendment. But they were told by the federal government, sorry, we take your first answer. Okay. <laughs> New Jersey. Now, New Jersey and Ohio, the irregularities there, are it's not quite so clear-cut. I mean, obviously in Oregon, there's no, that's, that's, uh, there's no excuse for that. And in Tennessee, there's obviously no excusing that. New Jersey and Ohio is not quite so clear-cut, but arguably there's at least some kind of irregularity here because both of these states rescinded their ratifications. And they rescinded them, though, before the amendment went into effect. It was still being voted on by other states. I mean, you could argue that if the amendment has already gone into effect and then you vote to rescind your ratification, it is probably too late. But arguably, they may at least have had some right to, to withdraw but they were told once again, sorry, we take your first answer. And New Jersey in particular, at the time that they attempted to withdraw their ratification, they actually announced, they said that we, have a, we are fearful that this amendment has been worded ambiguously with deliberate intent so that in the future it can be used to deprive us of our liberties. Very interesting. Well, the most fundamental reason, though, that there was an illegality involved here is that here you had the southern states 
which they, they ratified the 13th Amendment in 1865, abolishing slavery. No one had any problem with them then. 1867 rolls along. The radical Republicans in Congress, who are the wing of the Republican Party who favor you know, a very harsh settlement with the South, now that they're in power, in 1867, they declare the, the uh, other than Tennessee, they like Tennessee because Tennessee ratified the 14th Amendment, but other than Tennessee, the other former states of the Confederacy, the other 10 states, were declared in 1867 to be illegal, without legal governments. And they're going to be militarily occupied. They're going to be divided into five military districts. They're going to be deprived of self-government. They're going to have, in effect, martial, military courts open. Uh, so that was all declared in 1867. That was said about the southern states. But at the same time, these same states were told, you have to ratify an amendment to the Constitution. Now they're trying to have their cake and eat it too because either they're legal states or they're not. If they are legal states, then you shouldn't be occupying them with the military. Uh, if they're not legal states, then you can't ask them to ratify an amendment to the Constitution because they're not legal states. I mean, you may as well ask France to ratify an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It would be perfectly irrelevant. So in other words, you're depriving them of all the privileges of statehood, but nevertheless you're going to impose on them one of the burdens of statehood. You're going to actually demand that they ratify an amendment to the Constitution when you yourself have just said they're not even legal. The states, as constituted in the South, are not legal. So it's been argued that therefore their votes could not have counted. In no way could an illegal state, by definition, his, that vote for, for the, uh, the amendment be counted as a vote in favor of the, of the amendment. I mean, that, that's, that's not to mention the coercion involved here. I mean, one, there was one congressman who said that um, when, when the 14th Amendment was sent out to the states, Tennessee approved it, but the other ten uh, southern Confederate states rejected it. It was a northern congressman who said, well, the southern states have rejected the 14th Amendment, so we are going to march upon them at bayonet point until they, they do ratify it. Well, most, you know, most legal principle, principles would have it that a decision that you're forced to make under duress is not legally binding. So, so we have that difficulty as well. And for these reasons and, and even several others, uh, very recently, like early 1990s, Forrest MacDonald concluded that the 14th Amendment was never constitutionally
brother is so hard to catch up. We've been trying to get him a Washington watch for a long time, and I had to do so. Come all the way to California to that 2011 All-Star Game to hook up with Russell Simmons. He's got a new book out. It is Super Rich, A Guide to Having It All. Russell, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you, brother. You know, I was in Washington, and I missed you. I know that. So that's what I'm saying. And so I, I called ahead and everything. I, so I you're, understand. You're a little tough to catch as well. Well, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Let's, let's jump right into it. I've, uh, I've heard many different interviews. I've read different interviews. I talked to you on Tom Jordan Morning Show. Yeah. And your critics, the first thing they say, Russell, you got it all. You got money. You're getting paid. So how all of a sudden are you now deciding to tell people there's a different way to have it all? When you hear that, what do you say? Well, I, I think that that criticism is legitimate. I hear it so often. I, I don't think it, it, it's, uh, it, it makes real good sense since your mother and your, your father and your, your preacher, your rabbi, Iman, or right. your, your prophet, your scripture, all told you that it, having it all comes from within. Mm -hmm. And so it's told to you over and over again. I mean, of course, people forget, but in, it's etched in stone. You know, it's in each prophet's mouth and each, and each uh, teaching. So this book is about the, the, the same truth that you already have etched inside you. The, the idea is to have it ring a bell. Here's what, here's what jumps out. Uh, I was at a church in Dallas several years ago, uh, and they honored the member of the year. This woman didn't have a car, didn't have much money. But the pastor said whenever somebody was sick, she was always at the hospital first. Uh, when his father died, uh, she was there taking care of him. And what they talked about was they said she, she, was a, she had a prosperous spirit. Now, when people hear spiritual prosperity, it, it, what's interesting is this woman, the pastor said she didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have cars, but her spirit was prosperous because she was a giving woman. There is, there is a, part, a point in the book that was uh, tough for me because I wanted to make sure that people got this message. I didn't want to tell them that you could have a prosperous spirit and you would be happy, and that was all. Because I know that, that is not attractive to a lot of us. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are entitled. We need to empower ourselves. And maybe if we believe at the end there's some payoff, then we'll start to walk a, a different path. I can remind you that, of course, the story of Puffy is in that book, the story of Leo Cohen, the story of Kevin Lyles, the story of Julie Greenwald, the story of Michael Kaiser. All these people were my intern became president. Right. The story of David Geffen as an as a intern working in the mailroom. All those stories are in the book. But those stories about people who went to work and they were focused on the present. They were giving. They were making sure everybody was better right. as interns. And when you make sure everybody's better as an intern, you study your craft, one day you're the leader. You're still a servant. But they look to you for leadership because you're making them better. But the struggle seems to be, for a lot of people, uh, they see it as 100% this, 100% that. So, for instance, I'll talk to people and they'll say, uh, uh, well, you know, you know, I want to have a bigger house, want to have more money. And I say, look, I understand it. I get that. But if you don't have a sense of happiness inside, if you don't have a sense of contentment, then even when you get that, you still may not be content, you still may not be happy, and you still might be miserable. See, I would contend, and this is a, people would say this is more Eastern philosophy, but it's, it's written in the Bible and the Quran and the Torah as well. The contentment is not partly inside as a result. You know, and it, there is nothing on the outside that will make you happy. Money does not make you happy under any circumstance. Mm -hmm. Happy does make you money, though, this attractive giver. What, what jumps out, one thing, uh, in writing this where you said, wow, this is where I am today. This is where I used to be, and even I'm surprised about that growth, that evolution. What I learned is that when I look back, and I'm trying to explain what it is that, that, that promotes this kind of prosperity or this kind of happiness inside, 
I can look back now after having read scripture and look and say, well, this is what they mean. Like we talk about being awake or fully awake and what I call super rich is a state of needing mm-hmm. nothing. The same thing could be described, uh, nirvana would be the state of needing nothing or a state of yoga or Christ consciousness, a state of needing nothing. It's a blissful state. When does that happen? So there's a chapter called Work is Prayer, to make work your prayer. Because when I was making these records, all I could hear was the melody. I was focused on the melody. Every so often I might break focus. And I'd break focus and I'd think, wait till they hear this. I never thought, when till the money comes. You mentioned stillness. There's a wonderful gospel song called Peace Be Still. Talk a bit about why stillness is so important. It Especially is. in the world now where we have Twitter, Facebook, Blackberries, iPod, iPhone, iPad, Internet, everything. You it's it just moving. Yeah, but you operate from stillness. You have hundreds, hundreds of thoughts going through your head all the time. When the noise settles, they say it's only God. That's mm-hmm. all that's left is mm-hmm. here. And so you need to, every day if possible, let the noise settle. And separate yourself from And then you operate from a place where you can be the watcher. The yogis refer to the watcher where they see their life, and instead of being an extra moved around by the masses or the collective, the collective is, it, you're in the role that you want to play. You can play your own role as opposed to being moved around. How do you feel when people come up to you and literally say, my thought process, my life, my focus has been transformed by something that you wrote? The proceeds of this book go to charity. I run five charities. I run the Foundation for Ethnic Understanding, the Diamond Empowerment Fund, the Hip Hop Summit Action Network, the Rush Philanthropic Art Foundation, the Life Project. I, I run and I work in many other philanthropic mm-hmm. and social and political in, endeavors. Uh, that's what I do. But this book and the last book, I do get that. And the lifting, in, lifting someone's consciousness by even one degree is a very great, great gift. And for me, it is, you know, it is um, the most rewarding thing I can do is to give people a little shift or just a reminder of, of, of the peace of God that's inside them. Are you hopeful, let's deal with the issue of music, uh, are, are you hopeful that a bestseller like this, your influence with folks in the industry, uh, could also raise their level of consciousness in terms of what they are distributing? Well, you know, I think that the rapper's job is to tell us what we're thinking as a collective I don't think that they necessarily have to be the ones to lift us. It's nice when Kanye writes Jesus Walks. But if we're sexist, and we are, and if we're racist, and we are, and if we're homophobic, and we are, and we're violent, and, and, a, and a rapper brings some of that into his poetry, mm-hmm. it's a look at some part of us we don't like to see. And I would say that the rappers are already less sexist, mm-hmm. less racist, less homophobic, than the masses, and they're certainly less gangster than our government. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I want them, I want everyone to be lifted. I don't want the poets traditionally have always told us who we are. Mm-hmm. And, and through, I don't mean just here in America at this moment, but traditionally throughout history, the poets have always been the ones to look inside and, and spit out things that we do act on, live with, and, and try to block out. And then the poets say it. George Bush don't like white, black people. Doesn't mean it's true, it means that's what people are thinking. So he just said it. He said, wow, why did he say that? He said it because everybody's thinking it. So poets have to say after police. Very important to say after police. When there's so much police brutality going along, going on, and mm-hmm. at that moment, and then the next thing, there was a whole review of the relationship between community and police. 
And so I think the poet's job is to give it to us raw. I don't fault them. They're not ahead of society in violence. They're not ahead of society in sexism or racism. They're certainly less racist and sexist and homophobic and everything else than the previous generation. So, I, you know, I hope that everyone's lifted. I hope that our priests and preachers, who are more sexist than most rappers, mm-hmm. are, are, are transformed. I hope that there's some people who are, and I think a lot of rappers are talking about it, who realize that the, the, the number two use of oil beside the army, all the water, all the grain, the destruction of the ozone layer, all the cancer and sickness, and the worst calm in the history of humankind, is the animals and the abuse of them. And I think that a lot of rappers are saying that, more, more than the, the mainstream. It's our reality. So we do things unconsciously. Rappers bring them up because at least they can be in touch with them. They know them. They see the contradictions. And it's good that they say what they say in many cases. I never, uh, I'm offended by what they say. I'm, I'm hurt sometimes. If, if, I, if, if I can't escape it, I'm sometimes hurt by the things that we do as a collective. But I'm not upset by a poet who exposes it. Folks, the book is called Super Rich, A Guide to Having It All. Uh, by Russell Simmons, bestseller, uh, and so certainly I hope folks uh, continue reading, but also, as you said, stay on the path of enlightenment. You know, when we talk about history, we think in terms of Columbus discovering America. If you're like I was when I was a little kid growing up, why Columbus discovered America, and we have a holiday on October the 12th every year that we celebrate the discovery of America. One day, I was traveling with my wife in Illinois, and she looked over at me, and she said, well, would you like to visit one of the pyramids here in Illinois? And I said, pyramids? And she said, yes, there's about seven or eight of them here. And uh, not far from here, just a few miles, is one of those big pyramids. And I said, well, who built it? And she said, well, nobody seems to know. And I said, well, how big is it? And she said, well, it's uh, several hundred feet high, and it covers several acres. It's as big as the Great Pyramid of Egypt. And I was amazed. I'd never heard of such a thing. I said, here in Illinois, there's a pyramid And she said, yes, not just one, but seven or eight. And I said, yeah, i got to see this. And so we drove off the main highway, and we drove a little while, and pretty soon here out in the middle of the flatlands of Illinois, rising on the horizon was this big hill. We drove over to the big hill. It was covered by brush and trees. And and, uh, we went into the park. It's a a state park. And uh, paid our fee, and we walked in. I stood at the bottom of it, and I looked at this, and I said, hmm, why is it that I have been educated in America, went to the public school system, and here is a monument 400 feet high sitting in the middle of a cornfield covering about 15 or 20 acres of ground, a humongous mound of earth, and I never heard about it. And I'm 42 years old. Never heard about it. Well, it's not the only thing that I haven't heard about. It's not the only thing that you probably hadn't heard about. But have you ever heard about Egyptian hieroglyphics here in America? Have you heard about any monuments, writings, or coins found here in America that predate Columbus? 
How about Irish ogham writing, Phoenician coins, Roman pottery, Norse burial mounds found in West Virginia, Georgia, Michigan, Arkansas, Illinois, Iowa, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Colorado, just to name a few places where these sites and these discoveries have been found. And then ask yourself, what did you hear when you went to school, when you went to college? Maybe you're an archaeologist or an anthropologist. Did you ever hear about America B.C.? Well, we've heard about the Indians, and we ascribe these monuments and these strange phenomena to these Indians who deny them. And when you ask the Indians of Illinois, did you or your people or any, any history in the past build these pyramids out here? And they'll tell you, nope, nope, we didn't build them. Do you know who did? And they'll say, nope, nope, we don't know who did. We don't know who built them. We didn't, but there they are. And they are totally ignored in the literature. I mean ignored like they never existed. It's not the first time I've ever seen this kind of hiding the truth. We see it in politics. We see it in economics. We see it in medicine. And the truth is we find it in science also. For instance, in March of 1493, the Catholic Church was presented with an unforeseen problem. Christopher Columbus had just landed in Lisbon after an eight-month voyage that was to have taken him to the Indies, but instead of going to the Indies, it had led him to discover a new world. And the difficulty now confronting the prelates of the Catholic Church was that he had returned with passengers, American Indians, who had all of the appearance of being human beings. But how could their existence be accounted for? The biblical account of creation described three continents, each occupied by the seed of three sons, the three sons of Noah who survived the flood, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Columbus seems already to have been aware of the impending theological problem because in a letter dated February 15, 1493, written at the Canary Islands, he assured King Ferdinand that the people that he found were no monsters, but on the contrary were very well formed, neither were they Negroes. And when he put ashore in Lisbon on March 6th, his journal records... Many people came to see the Indians, and it was a great marvel. As the second and third and later voyages produced ever-mounting evidence of large numbers of man-like creatures inhabiting the Americas, a cold wind of skepticism began to blow through the monasteries to ruffle the equanimity of those who so boldly preached the absolute truth of Genesis. And for a time, Rome disregarded the matter, as Pope Alexander VI was otherwise engaged, save only when he found time to draw a line of demarcation between the Spanish and the Portuguese portions of the New World. But in 1512, a new pope summoned the Fifth Lateran Council and issued an official declaration certifying that American Indians are true descendants of Adam and Eve, and hence they are human beings. The failure of the Bible to account for them, and to account for their continent, was made good by the inference that American Indians are the descendants of Babylonians expelled from the Old World on account of sins of their ancestors. 
Now, backed by this new authority, it was now safe for speculative churchmen to ponder the route from the Garden of Eden to America. After considering the possibilities that Noah's Ark might have added an American port of call to her scheduled sailing plan, or that angels might have transported people across the ocean, holding them by the hair of the head like to the prophet Habakkuk, a Spanish thinker, Jose de Acosta, dismissed both propositions in favor of transportation by shipwreck and accidental tempest of the weather. Now, the inquiry was now taken up by others, and by the 17th century, both Protestant and Catholic churchmen were agreed that Asia must have been the original homeland of the American Indian forefathers because only the rude Tartars above all nations on earth resemble the inhabitants of America in respect of their gross ignorance of letters and of the arts, their idolatry, and above all, their incivility. Alas, for Pocahontas, there was no Fenimore Cooper on hand to defend the six nations, no deerslayer yet to win hearts or minds for the dwellers in the wilderness. One dissident, Cotton Mather in Boston, in the course of a long series of extraordinary letters to the Royal Society of London, drew attention to the existence in Connecticut of a tribe of Indians which practiced circumcision, thereby showing he thought that the American Indians should be considered as the lost tribes of Israel. Voltaire, on the other hand, considered that the American Indians had arisen de novo in America by whatever mechanism had similarly caused human beings to appear upon the face of the earth in the other continents. By 1811, such scientists as Humboldt recognized the similarities between some American tribes and those of the Mongol race, and he postulated that the American Indians are descended from a mingling of ancient Americans and later in-wanderers from Asia. Later still, most of the anthropologists came to agree that all American Indians are descended from ancestors that entered the Americas by way of the Bering Strait, and that no European came to America before Leif Erikson or Columbus. Now, in recent years, one lone voice has protested this kind of oversimplification, that of Harold Sterling Gladwin. And in his various writings, Gladwin has repeatedly drawn attention to cultural features and material objects, particularly pottery, that show that American tribes must have had relatively recent contacts with the Old World of Europe and the Middle East, especially with the Mediterranean and with the Orient. The nature of the various art styles to which he drew attention is such as to point to direct voyages between the Old World and the Americas as late as classical times about 2,000 years ago, or about the time of Christ. Gladwin's views have, until very recently, been strictly ruled out, anathema, and they have been excluded from the college curriculum. Now, fortunately, this exclusionist attitude is now considerably ameliorated. His writings, once forbidden reading in colleges and universities in America, have now been and have become prescribed texts at places such as Harvard. 
Now, for generations, the archaeological world has been beset by the notion that only the navigational techniques introduced in Europe in the 15th century made it possible for Europeans to cross the Atlantic, although some grudging acquiescence is conceded to those who point to the evidence of the sagas, showing that the Viking crossings by way of Greenland, which occurred before Columbus, have been well documented. So at the time when Gladwin issued Men Out of Asia in 1947, he too felt compelled to bring the Mediterranean influence to the Americas by way of an Asian and or Indonesian land-hopping route. The vectors being supposedly the ships of the fleet of Menarchus, left stranded in Asia after the death of Alexander the Great. Well, in recent years, new discoveries in the Pacific caves have begun to lend much support to this facet of Gladwin's theories, but at the same time, the newer evidence also shows very clearly that the Atlantic was by no means the great barrier that earlier thinkers had supposed. So what, it is reasonable to ask then, is this newer evidence? Well, in fact, it is not new in and of and by itself, because it has lain intact for more than 2,000 years. All that is new is our ability to read the inscriptions concerned, because indeed, they are written, and in some sense, documents, carefully engraved on the bedrock of America, on temple lintels, and on the gravestones of kings and chiefs. And they speak to us of a long-forgotten age of exploration and of colonization, which is the subject of this book. When American archaeologists first began to send me inscriptions for decipherment and translation, I was astonished to learn that such documents existed here in America. All of my earlier work had been on ancient tablets and cave inscriptions of the Old World, records of the Sea Peoples of the Bronze Age and Early Iron Age some three to 4,000 years ago. But what I now began to receive from unimpeachable sources here in North America were essentially the same types of documents, engraved in stone, and they were either excavated from some archaeological site or they were recorded from cliff faces or photographed on massive rocks discovered by the early colonists. And I'd never seen such materials mentioned or illustrated in any books on archaeology of the Americas, and indeed I was totally oblivious to their existence. How is it, I asked my friend and colleague Professor George Carter of Texas, that you are sending me all of these materials. Has no one studied them before? Well, his answer was, for 75 years I have been knocking on the study doors of professors of Greek and Latin. And each time I have been told that the objects that I had in my hand look like writing, but that it is not Greek, and that it is not Latin, nor is it any script known to my consultants. So I emerged no wiser than before. Now, the very manner in which George Carter and I were brought together is in itself instructive because it illustrates both the difficulties now besetting communication between men working in different disciplines and the strengths of those more liberal institutions of learning that encourage their faculty to cross the lines that divide the disciplines. Carter was trained as an archaeologist at the University of California at Berkeley. 
but he has chosen to devote much of his life to the study of the geographical distribution of man and his domesticated plants and animals. Through his research at John Hopkins and then later at Texas A&M, his work became well known to biologists at Harvard, especially to botanists working on the evolution and distribution of plants cultiva cultivated by man around the world. Now, I, for my part, though a marine biologist, have spent much of my life studying the ancient voyages of people who left inscriptions on remote islands, which, of course, could only have been approached by sea. As a marine biologist, I felt obliged to examine this evidence because it would have a bearing on how the dispersal of man, plants, and animals might be influenced by ocean currents and winds. what we know out there. 
You'll never get this on CNBC. But our school system will never tell us that because they're part of the process. Fake money, fake teachers, fake assets. I know the game of the rich. My rich dad taught me. You know it because you're the banker. The bankers and the rich play is different than what they teach you in school. All over the world, what does school teach you about money? And the answer is nothing. And that's not a mistake. That's not an accident. I knew that. Most people know that. The way to keep the poor and middle class working hard is never teach them what the rich know. So if you read Rich Dad Poor Dad, which came out in 1997, it's what the rich teach their kids about money, the poor and middle class do not. Poverty hurts. I mean, I don't like it. And I don't like that our academic system is so corrupt. You know, we, we know the banking system is corrupt. We know politics is corrupt. But, ac but academics is just as corrupt. I mean, one thing if it's the banking and the politics, but this is where we send our children and we trust them to do the right things for them. And yet they're being not taught something so fundamental. Like you asked your dad when you were a kid. Dad, you asked your teacher, when are you going to teach us about money? And it was just never. Oh, never. And they'll never will. You know something. What do you know? Share it. What is financial education? It's not get a job, work hard, save money, and invest in a well-diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and ETFs. The financial industry is two things, debt and taxes. In 1971, Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, and the U.S. dollar became debt. And we still tell kids to go to school, get a job, work hard, save money and get out of debt. Now who tells them to do that? That's the most ridiculous thing there is. The book starts and it says lie number one, saving money will make you rich. Yeah, it never will. You well, know that. All taught that as kids. Why would you save it and why would you work for it if they can print it as faster than you can work for it? Why do you keep saving when they're printing it? The rich don't work for money. Don't you touch that stuff. It's very subtle, right? Yep. They don't say I'm going to train you to be a worker bee the rest of your life, but they educate you in a way where that's what you come out. Right. What else was he, what was he trying to do those first few months where you were working for him? What was he trying to get across to you? Because he taught you the hard way about money. And she says, if you're going to be a successful in your life, you've got to find the best teachers. And a great teacher is somebody who comes from the inside, not the outside. But in school, you don't know if your instructor is for real or not. That's where the fake teacher comes from. I said, I want you to teach me about money. So it was, so why should I teach you? He says, but if I teach you, you work for me for free. And I said, why for free? And my dad, my poor dad went nuts. He says, because if I pay you, you think like an employee. Your, brains will, your brain will change. If you learn never to work for money, you'll be a rich man. And this is powerful. Once you give someone a paycheck, their brain turns off. Correct. Because it's and then the promise of a pension. Right. And job security. Which is kind of a paycheck in disguise. Correct. After you stop working. Give the man a fish, eats for the day, teach him to fish, eats Correct. for a lifetime. And most poor people confuse assets for liabilities. They think their home is an asset, it's actually a liability. Right. An asset is a noun, like a house. Cash flow is a verb. So to understand if it's an asset or liability, it takes a noun plus verb. 
So if the cash is flowing out of your pocket, it's a liability. If the cash is flowing into your pocket, as it were, it's an asset. So I own 7,000 rental properties. Those are assets. Every month, the cash flows in. Whereas many people have the big house on the hill, and the cash is flowing out. Right. And they're going broke. Right. It's like a frame of mind. The other thing the poor don't understand is the number one expense for most people is taxes. And yet we don't even see it. Isn't that weird? You walk around and you look at the paycheck and say, ah, that doesn't seem right. And you don't realize that the government's got a huge hand in your pocket and you are doing nothing to minimize that. Again, Correct. this is what's very different about the rich and the poor. The rich don't work for money. It's number one expense is tax. See, there's three kinds of income. Earned, portfolio, passive. So earned income is if I get a job, that's earned income. If I'm a doctor or a programmer, that's earned income because I'm working for it. If I buy, a, if I buy a, let's say, Apple for $10 and I send it for 20 that's uh, portfolio income, capital gains. Yeah. But passive income, which is cash flow, is never taxed. And so these guys are screaming right now in America, tax the rich. I said, good luck because most of the guys complaining, they don't know the three kinds of income. And the rich don't have jobs anyway. They have assets. And so the average schmo out there, a poor guy, you know, sent the kid to school, they don't learn this. You see, very few people will buy what I do, make a million dollars and pay zero tax. And my rich dad taught me that playing Monopoly. That's how it started, you know, four greenhouses, one red hotel. Or the McDonald's formula. I write about it there. McDonald's, Ray Kroc. Yeah. McDonald's is in the real estate business. So they sell hamburgers, but they buy real estate, so they pay no taxes. You know, this guy Bezos, what, he's $16 billion. How much tax do they pay on that $16 billion? Zero. And that's all legal. Anyone can do it. Everybody can do but it. But most people lack the education. So once you learn how to use debt as money, you can never say, I can't afford it. You see, because the banks will give you, so the banks, after the crash of 2008, the banks gave me $300 million tax-free. When I asked the average guy, I said, can you, why don't you use debt? They can't even get a loan. Because their scores, their FICO scores, I don't even have them here, are so bad. The school teachers will never tell you that because they don't know it. My poor dad never knew that don't know if something is an asset or a liability until you can say which way the cash flows. So a house, is it an asset or a liability? Well, if it's taking money from your pocket, it's a liability. If it's putting money in your pocket, it's an asset. The U.S. government wants me to provide housing, wants me to provide jobs, wants me to borrow money because that's how money is created through debt. I get huge tax breaks. Everybody can do the same thing if they had the financial education to do it. If people understood the tax code, we'd be more prosperous. But can poverty be passed through genetically? Yes. Because it's some type of way of thinking. It's an attitude. An attitude. It's very simple. When, I, when people ask you, how do I stop it? I just say, never say, I can't afford it. Ask yourself, how can I? The reason I have so much money is because I don't say I can't do it. I just go, how can I do it? And I just go and do it. I make a lot of mistakes, but that's how I learned. How can I? The poor people, like my poor dad, always said I can't afford it. You think I'm made of money? I'm a school teacher. I can't do that. And I picked that up. And my rich dad never said those words. 
So when I meet poor people, they use the words, I can't, a lot. So the people that say, I can't afford it, I can't do this, I can't get to college, the rich are evil, you know, I choose not to participate in that. And that's one thing people could change today, could. right now, is that dialogue in their head. Stop saying the word can't. I can't. Right. So how can I? How can I? Especially as in, I can't afford it, how can I afford that? Right. Because that opens them up to looking at it as an investment to a greater future. Right. You know, when I borrowed $300 million, I couldn't do it when, until I went to ask. And I got turned down so many times. I said, you know, and every time I, I showed the bank of my financials and they go, sorry, I said, look, do me a favor. Why did you turn me down? And he tell me. This is out. The numbers are out here. So I said, I get these numbers fixed. Can I come see you again? He goes, sure. So it's called rejection. The same as my wife rejected me for six months. It's just a matter of personal willpower, which is spiritual. Just saying, if they can do it, I can do it. And how can I? How can I? And I think it's you once said, words become flesh. Yep. It was the Bible, too. Intelligence increases through your mistakes, through the ups and downs, through what you've learned. Real estate's real estate. But what I learned made me richer, not the money. You don't need money to make money. You know, I think all of us, every human being has that low point in their life. And if they get the message, a new life begins. If they don't get the message, they keep going down. The richer I got was because I didn't need any money. I could use this to make money. But how did I get there is I made a lot of mistakes. People are afraid of making mistakes and all this, fear of failing. It limits them. Nice, nice, so very nice. So many people trapped in the same device.
Donald Trump says gold is better than cold, hard cash. Donald Trump is renting out the 50th floor of 40 Wall Street for 10 years to Apmex, American Precious Metals Exchange, and accepting three 32-ounce gold bars as a security deposit. Well, sadly, we all know what's happening to the dollar. The dollar is going down, and it's not a pretty picture, and it's not being sustained by proper policy and proper thinking. This was an opportunity, and maybe an opportunity to show people what's happening with the dollar so that we can do something about it. Michael Haynes, CEO of Apmex, is the mastermind who hatched this plan. To us, cash, gold, they're the, basically the same asset. As we were negotiating this, we went to Mr. Trump, who I think is a very smart guy, and we presented him with some data, and you just heard him speak and say, it didn't take me very long to say, yes, I want the gold instead of the cash. Are you trying to line up any more deals like this? Well, as... as Personal as, or professional? Well, as we continue to expand our, our footprint here in New York, we're planning on taking some more space, hopefully, as our business continues to grow and we expand around the globe. And as we take on more obligations there, perhaps we'll be, we'll be required to give more gold as a security deposit. Mr. Trump is also ready to keep doing business in gold. I never thought this would happen. This is the first time it's actually happened, and maybe it's going to set a trend. A trend that would turn gold from just a safe haven investment and into a viable business alternative to the U.S. dollar. It ain't like stepping on ants, Jake. Takes a man to kill. Are you man enough to kill Jake? Get me right there. Get me, Jake. Get me. Hit me. Hit me. You can't do it. Somebody drop this fool for me. You got us twisted, homie. We gotta put your own work in around here. Uh, it's like that, Bone? It's like that. Player to player, pimp to pimp. I'm bleeding, you shoot me, nigga. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now I'm bleeding, he got it in me, Jake. I'm going to get that gun, and then I'm going to get that money. And you ain't going to do a damn thing, because you ain't going to shoot no cop in the back, are you? Don't do it. You know what they give you for that? The gas chamber. You know what the gas chamber smells like? Pine oil. That's where you headed, boy, to pine oil heaven. I'm going to get that gun, and then I'm going to get that money. I don't believe you got it in you, Jake. I'm going to go get it right now. Motherfucker. The next one will kill you. Oh, son of a bitch. You shot me in the ass. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. Okay. All right, listen. One sec, I need the money. Give me the money, Jake. Give me the money, please, Jake. Give me that money! It's not gonna happen. Who are you? You gonna jack me now? You gonna take my own money from me, huh? I told you, that's my evidence. You wanna go to jail, you wanna go home. I wanna go home, Jake. Give me the money and let me go home. Yeah? Yeah. You want to go home? Yeah, let me go home, Jake. Come on, give me the money and let me go home. Give me the money and let me go home. Let me go home, Jake. That's right. 
You don't deserve this. Jake, go ahead and bounce on me. Get up out of here. We got your back. What? Like that. Oh, no, you didn't. Wait a minute. No, you did Hey, hey, Jake! Hey! Jake! 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 Come back here! Jake! You disloyal, fool-ass, bitch-made punk. Jake! I need my money! Jake! Oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm putting cases on all you bitches. Huh? You think you can do this shit? Jake! You think you can do this to me? You motherfuckers will be playing basketball in Pelican Bay when I get finished with you. Shoe program, nigga. 23-hour lockdown. I'm the man up in this piece. You'll never see the light of day. Who the fuck you think you fucking with? I'm the police. I run shit here. You just live here. Yeah, that's right. You better walk away. Go and walk away, because I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. King Kong ain't got shit on me. I'm this far from being a star It's just that close to quitting I never should have came close to me But I want to be a musician Pippin' not a politician Listen, feel my position It's a rough transition Plus I'm way too deep in the game Busy trying to change From fortune and fame and glamour I could be in a slam I'm six feet up under Atlanta It's a blessing to breathe I walk the streets with seven felonies I'm blessed to be free As long as somebody up in heaven Who keep blessing the G CIP is still be blessed to see these Some haters, you can see these Cause I'm back now with something to prove Everything the game, pimpin' nothing to lose All the stars smacking niggas when there's nothing to do They too big, shoot them in the leg and even the hard Let your brand with Cap and C-Rod Trap with KT and Broad with JR But home with DP, broke bread with JG Switch labels like KP, who fucked it all up to me Even though I'd rather go back to slangin' drugs and shit It's a gang of niggas and bitches really love this shit I can't quit, even though police is hate Game ain't real Gotta stay selling records Cause the fame ain't shield And 
Fuck the units that they name a fair It'll break your heart Fuck your favorite rapper I'm playing the fair I can't quit Even though police hate them legit Rappers hate it cause they know I'm the shit Hell no, I can't quit Them niggas hating on the money I'm getting most of them hating Cause I'm fucking they bitch Now I'm pimping, I can't quit Them niggas hating on the rocks and the rain Some of them hate cause they don't think I'm the king Hell no, I can't quit People hate it when you're better than them They ain't, ain't stop worrying Some of you rhyme, but they might not like one of the lines. I tell you, I let you criticize me one of the time. Those of you who think I'm too cocky, get in front of the line. Whether you don't like my ego or my arrogant flow. Don't like the when you say I'm tight, I say I already know. Don't like how I was talking shit before my arm could blow. Think I need to calm it down, be more like the average Joe. So, fuck you, your thoughts and that little house you think I'm in. Get a Benz, I value your opinion in. Think I give a fuck how many times I recommend. Fuck what you recommend. MakeMoreCommerce.com for more remedies with Joey L, where remedy meets preparation. Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on The Bottom Line with Joey L on Evolution Radio. All right, all right, all right. What's up, what's up, what's up? Peace to the gods. What's going down? Right here on the bottom line, I'm your host, Joey Bounce L. Bay, also known affectionately as Joey L. and other names. So, peace to the gods. I want to welcome you to the show. Um, hope we find you well. If you are in the chat and you want to call in, the call in number is 347-989-0194. Make sure you call in and holler at me and get on the line. All right? So, tonight, we're going to uh, jump right into it. Right, because I've got a couple of things I need to handle. So I want to jump right into it. And we're going to talk tonight about contracts and consent, right? And what is consent, right? And we've all, you know, we've, we've heard this before when people talk about, you know, giving consent to officers and agents and things of that nature, right? And so we have to talk about this tonight, right? And talk about what's known as trespass and things of that nature. So it can be understood and overstood. Right? By yourself, not understood in a legal sense, but overstood, right? What exactly it means to give consent, right? And do you give consent, right? Do you give consent for somebody to control your assets? Do you give consent for people to take property? Do you give consent to be a uh, so called subject citizen, right? To not have any rights, to be known as a slave? Do you give that consent, right? Now, 
I'm here to tell you that, um, you know, consent is not always a contract. Okay, so if you did get consent at some point in time, even if you did it unknowingly, it could have been done by mistake, right? So it can always be retracted, it can always be rescinded, right? And consent means that there is permission for something to happen or an agreement to do something, right? So to give permission for something to happen, right, would mean that somebody voluntarily agrees to a proposal or a desire of another, right? So I can make the claim right now that I never consented to being a U.S. citizen, right? I never consented to having any of my property taken. I never consented to um, being anything less than that of a god, right? Anything less than that of someone who is supposed to hold a loyal title, right? And you should always look at yourself as somebody who holds your own loyal title. Now, we're going to go right in because I want to make sure that this becomes a clear topic and that we're not spending too much time on irrelevant things. Now, consent occurs when a person voluntarily agrees to the proposal or the desires of another. It is a term of common speech with specific definitions as used in such fields as law, medicine, research, even sexual relationships, right? So consent as understood in specific context may differ from everyday meanings, right? So for example, a person with a mental disorder or a low mental age or a person that is considered a minor, right? Or under the legal age of uh, the disability to contract, right? Or I should say the ability to contract, right? Would be somebody who has to give, in a way, their consent over to someone who has a guardianship, right? Now, an expressed consent is one that is clearly and unmistakably stated rather than implied. So if you never give expressed consent, right? Through your verbal agreement to say, hey, I am a U.S. citizen, right? Then guess what? It didn't apply. So this is why I said I am not a subject citizen. I am not subject to ex post facto laws of any agents thereof, right? So it may be given in writing by speech, non-verbally. By a clear gestures such, such as a nod, you can nod your head, right? Uh, non-written expressed consent, not evidenced by witnesses, or an audio or video recording may be disputed if a party denies that it was given. I never gave your ass permission to come on my property, right? So it has to be implied consent. So implied consent is inferred from a person's actions and facts and circumstances of a particular situation, okay? So some examples would include uh, soliciting, uh, initiating some type of quote-unquote activity, uh, the implied consent to physical contact by participants, right? Or being assaulted in a boxing match, right? So when you look at, you know, two boxers in a match, they get together and they, they hit on each other, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, it's essentially consent if the nigga gets his eye blacked out. Now, silence is what's known as acquiescence. But if you're silent, right, and you step up as, you know, somebody who speaks for themselves, because only children cannot speak for themselves, right? People who are of the age of majority can step up and speak for themselves. So when we talk about silence, 
silences acquiescence only when we don't speak up. Okay? And that's really the only time silence really applies, right? Because silence is basically uh, the consent that you agree to something, right? And let, let me be very clear here, because you can agree to some shit and not have full knowledge of the facts, right? So it could have been done by mistake or under some form of duress or fraud, right? So you always have to double check what it is that you're agreeing to to make sure that you have a full, complete understanding of the ramifications, number one, and to make sure that you weren't bamboozled, duped, or hoodwinked, right? So informed consent. Let's talk about informed consent because informed consent, and this is all dealing with contracts, right? When we talk about the law of contract, right? But informed consent is consent that is given by a person who has clear appreciation and understanding of the facts the implications, the future consequences of an action, right? The terms also used in other contexts, such as uh, social scientific research, right? When participants are asked to affirm that they understand the research procedure and the, and the consent, right, of that particular procedure, okay? So everything has to be done through some form of consent. Now, my man says that consensual silence occurs in several forms. I can agree to that. Just like I said, you can nod your head, and that can be known as consensual silence, but you have to be properly informed. Okay? Now, there's also what's known as unanimous consent or general consent by a group of parties, right, or associations, right? But remember that associations don't have consent over a natural person, right, over a natural human being, over a natural living uh, uh, sentient flesh being, whatever you want to call it, right? A motherfucker with blood in their body. Okay? You don't give consent to people to take your blood. You don't give consent to uh, vaccinations, right? You don't give consent to uh, 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 people taking your property, right? So you got to step up. You got to speak on it. So I affirm I don't give consent to any of the above, right? You're not going to take my property. You're not going to um, give me uh, half information and expect me to consent to some shit. I know I'm not doing that. I don't consent to being a slave. So substituted consent, right, or what they call a substituted judgment doctrine, allows a decision maker to attempt to establish the decision uh, in an incompetent person, right? If that person were, uh, you know, something was wrong with that person mentally. So. Let's just be very specific here, right? A substituted consent cannot apply to a person who is of majority, a person who has no mental defects, a person who uh, is given all of the facts clearly, right? A person who is not misled, right, one way to believe one thing and then misled, you know, another way to believe another thing. Right? Now, let's, let's talk about my man's talking about COVID here right, in the chat. Now, not everybody consents to so-called vaccinations, right? That's, if you go look in your state, every state constitution, right, on the republic side, you have the ability to be exempt from vaccinations, right, through, number one, religion, your personal beliefs, okay, the dictates of your own conscience, okay, all of these things Right, are essentially vital to you being able to uh, uh, enforce 
right? Something that was not consented to. Because if they start telling people, well, you're going to need to have this COVID shot to travel, well, then doesn't that mess with the supreme laws of the land, which says that you have free ingress and regress to come and go as you please? But those only apply to people who are not what? U.S. citizens, right? Because guess what? The supreme laws of the land only apply to people who are outside of the United States, without the United States. Because if you're within the United States, well, then guess what? You have to abide by the codes, the statutes, the ordinances. So I declare that I am without the United States, right? But I am also protected under the supreme laws of the land. You have to be protected under the supreme laws. And we talked about this a while back, right? A lot of people don't like, you know, they don't really like that idea, you know, of uh, of people who you know, are so-called protected, you know, protected individuals and things of that nature. But there is a duty, there's a sworn duty that some of these people take, right, when they take oaths to make sure that they uphold the rights, not the privileges, okay? Now, let's talk about tort a little bit here, right, because consent can either be expressed or implied, okay? And consensual silence, as my guy is talking about here, right, has to be Essentially, it has to be implied, right? So, for example, participation in a contact sport like football, right? It's implied that your ass is going to get hit on the field at some point in time. It's implied, right? And it's also expressed by the actions, okay? So it's very important to understand this. Now, in English law, the principle of what they call uh, volenti non-fit injuria is that it means that uh, to willing to a willing person, injury is not done. To a willing person, right? Which means that, nigga, if you're willing to be injured, they're going to injure you. I'm not willing to be injured. Are you? Now, this also applies not only to participants in sports, but also in spectators and any others who are willingly engaged in activities. This is why if you're in a baseball stadium and your ass gets hit with a baseball, you can't go and sue the baseball stadium or the team. Because your ass bought a ticket to sit there. Okay? But if you didn't know, right, what all of the rules and regulations were, if things were changed on you, right, if things were uh, done to you by trickery or without clean hands, right, then your direct consent, as what we call expressed or implied, doesn't imply here. This is where tort comes in. Okay? So as a term of jurisprudence, right, uh, prior provisions of consent signify a possible defense, an excuse, or a justification, right, against civil or criminal liability. Defendants who use this defense are arguing that they should not be held liable for a tort or a crime since the actions in question took place with the plaintiff or the victim's prior consent and permission, right? So not understanding the full knowledge of what was going on, not completely complying to things. So I don't, I don't comply. Right, with knowledge that I wasn't given, and neither should you. Okay, now let's talk real quick about what's known as trespass. This is really important. All right, now when we talk about trespass, right, um, there's a definition of what we call nuisance, right? And nuisance is a condition or activity that infers that the possessor, right, having use or enjoyment of his land by a corporal or non trespassory invasions such as an extent right 
that the person who is the landowner, right, or I should say the natural person, right, or the name, okay, that appears is the landowner cannot reasonably be expected to bear without compensation. So when somebody trespasses on you, right, you're supposed to be able to get some type of compensation for that, right? Because trespass equals intent. See, a trespasser is usually liable even for trivial physical intrusions, such as a single harmless uh, cross across your yard. Motherfucker come across your yard, you're a trespasser, right? Nuisance by contrast is what they call it. Okay? Now, sometimes the court may conclude that some level of interference with the quiet enjoyment of adjoining property is reasonable, right? Now, in view of the activity that creates it, therefore, will not support recovery for nuisance. So trespass is an intentional tort, right? And we call these people uh, actors, if you will, right? I told y'all a long time ago, motherfuckers be out here acting. It's some acting shit going on. So you got to be able to spot so-called actors when they pop up. Right, so the actors, right, that we call these nuisances, must with intent. They were intended to do something, right, to trespass. So either the purpose to cause the intrusion, right, which which means that either uh, you gave someone consent, right, but they purposely did uh, did not give you maybe due notice, right. So the actor with intent decided to do what they wanted to do. So an actor can create a nuisance, come over and start talking shit to you on your yard. Right? I invited you to come over, but I didn't invite you to come over and destroy my peace. Right? I didn't invite you. For instance, I'll give you an example. Let's say that you uh, have a motherfucker come cut your yard. He comes cut your yard. Right? But he cuts down all the bushes. Well, the intent was for you to come cut the yard, not cut down the bushes. So now you've destroyed somewhat of some peace that I have because you cut down all the bushes. So it was an intentional trespass on things that we didn't agree on, right? So the gravemen, is what they call it, of the nuisance claim is the interference of the defendant's activity, which causes the plaintiff to use the particular property. You understand? So an actor might not know, for example, that the noise was a problem. So if you're playing your music super loud, you, you might not have known that the noise was a problem. Because then nobody say shit to you, right? So there was no intent there. So intent is really important when we're talking about consent and trespass and things of that nature. Now, um, let me just pull it up for y'all here, all right? I'll give you a working definition. Now, trespass is defined by the act of knowingly entering another person's property without permission. Motherfucker, I said you come over. I didn't give you permission to motherfucker walk up in here, though. So it's permission. Now, for the definition of trespass, the knowingly knowingly entering requirements refer to the actor's knowledge of the literal act of entering property. So it does not matter whether the actor actually knows the property belongs to someone else. Trespass exists in both tort law and in criminal law. So tort law and the tort law property owner may bring a civil suit against the trespasser, right? You can even bring an equity suit against the trespasser on your property. When we talk about property, this extends to your personal property, your real property, and otherwise, right? So we're talking about recovering actual damages, right? Receiving some type of compensatory relief 
for injury that was suffered as a direct result of a trespass. Even if you didn't know the motherfucking trespass happened. Motherfucker, when you do find out, right, you have an equitable duty. Yeah, you're right, dude. The whole world is a stage. Shakespeare like a motherfucker. Okay? Matter of fact, Shakespeare, if you go read some Shakespeare, Shakespeare was right on point. He was dropping a whole bunch of shit about Moors and everything else in there. Take some time to go read Shakespeare. Okay? Now, in a tort action, the plaintiff must prove that the offender had but knowingly violated a legal duty to respect another person's right to property. Which resulted in a direct injury or loss to the plaintiff. You understand? Now, in criminal law, right, in tort law, trespass is held to infringe upon a person's property owner's legal right to enjoyment of the benefits of ownership. This is why I talked last week about beneficial ownership. Nigga, I don't give up no beneficial ownership. I am the beneficial owner. Who are you? And if you think you got a claim against my superior claim, then step up. But my claim is superior to yours. Because it's my property inherently. You see? That's why when uh, when motherfuckers was taking the last name of the slave owners, right, you were still property of these motherfuckers, even though they took your original names for themselves. And then they turned around and gave you the name So this way you could be called property I'm not with being nobody's property Right But I am for claiming my property What belongs to me rightfully Justly Equitably Okay So criminal charges Right Can be brought against somebody who interferes with another person's legal right to property Now let me say this, right? If that person uh, in good faith and clean hands gives that person his property back, right? Okay. Makes an intention, okay, to do so. Then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's not abandoned, right? There's no foul, no harm. Give motherfucker some equity, right? Make that person whole again. See, you got to make people hold out here. This is what I've been talking about all last year, and we're going to stay on it this year, right? Make them motherfuckers hold. Don't take from motherfuckers, right? And you know damn well that you infringe on their property, okay? Now, contracts are completely different, right? If we if we had a substantial contract, okay, for certain things to happen. Okay, and you can prove it, then good. Right? But it's a hard case to prove. Now, nuisances and trespassers on your personal and real property, right? Are put on notice the moment you say something, the moment you find out. And if you don't find out, Right, because for whatever reason a motherfucker decided not to tell you or decided not to give you the full knowledge of the facts. Does it make you uh, any less uh, able to handle your commercial affairs? Right? Doesn't it? Doesn't make you any less of a natural person? It doesn't take away your natural inherent rights 
And they say privileges. I say rights. Right? Okay, it doesn't make you a minor. Okay, so these are these are really important things to know here. Alright? So, you know, and like I said, I'm not gonna dive too deep into this tonight, you know, but it's important that we touch on this so that it could be understood. Now, let's just real quick talk about um, you know, one dash two oh one, right? It deals with a few different things and we're just gonna go through them and then we'll take some calls, right? So now agreement as distinguished from contract means the bargain of the parties in fact is found in their language or inferred from other circumstances, including courses of performance or courses of dealing with things, right? So if a motherfucker, right, agrees to make you whole, right, then that's what it should be, right? Now, an aggrieved party is entitled to pursue some type of remedy, okay? Now, let me uh, let me scroll down here just a little bit. I'm going to give you a couple of important definitions here, right? Now, a consumer, and this is important, right, because whether you're operating with straw man or you're operating um, – as uh, an authorized representative for it, or you're operating, right, as an estate or a trust, right? Consumers, which operate, can operate in commerce, have a right, right, to enter into a transaction, right, for personal, family, household purposes, uh, trustee purposes, right? You have a right. Right now, contract as distinguished from an agreement means the total obligation that results from the party's agreement, as determined under the Uniform Commercial Code, as supplemented by other applicable laws. So, a creditor includes a general creditor, a secured creditor, a lien creditor, right? Representatives of creditors, including uh, assignees, benefits of creditors, trustees in bankruptcy, right? Receivers in equity, and an executor or administrator. An insolvent debtor or an assigner's estate, right? So when we talk about estate, I think it's really important to understand that, um, you know, a lot of times people don't really understand the probate process, right? And and I won't lie, it's a very difficult process when it comes down to completely understanding what's happening in probate. Okay, because motherfuckers will try to take your assets from you. Okay, this is why it's so important to put things on the record, right? But remember, the very fact that you establish something like a trust and express trust is the intent of where the property is supposed to go, right? Is the intent of who's supposed to be the trust protector, who's supposed to be the settlers, right? Who are the trustees? And then who are your beneficiaries? So when we talk about things like title, title of ownership, right? Documents of title, uh, bills of lading, right? Goods, okay? In a regular course of business or some type of financing transaction, right? Um, things are adequately evident. That the person in possession of it is entitled to receive it, hold it, dispose of the documents and the goods to cover it, right? Now, I'm going to talk about the birth certificate real quick, right? Because the birth certificate is really important. It's a security. It's a very important document, right? I don't 
I, I don't and I never have given anybody permission uh, to take over my document that I beneficially own. And you shouldn't either. Okay? So, when there's a breach or a wrongful act or omission that someone did, right, you're supposed to be compensated for that. You're supposed to be restored in full. I tell y'all straight up, motherfucker stole my birth certificate recently. Okay? So, what did I have to do? I have to cancel that fucking contract and create a new one. Because guess what? Whoever did it, did it with malice intent. You're not going to steal some shit, right? It don't belong to you. Okay? So, things have to be done in good faith. Good faith means honesty, uh, integrity, honesty in the facts, the observance of reasonable commercial standards of fair dealings. Okay? So, in order for you to be a holder, in order for you to exercise consent, right, you must be a holder, and you must have done things within good faith. Alright, so with that being said, short topic tonight. I ain't going to go too much into it. We got some webinars coming up. I'll have the links up soon. They'll be up this month. If you want to sign up for them. Alright, 347-989 is the caller number. Excuse me, 347-989-0194. If you want to get in and holler at me. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is me against the world. So 
With all the sex distresses, the question I wonder is after death, after my last breath, when will I finally get to rest through this depression? They punish the people that's asking questions and those that possess. Still from the ones without protection, the message I stress. To make it stop, study your lesson, don't settle for less. Even the genius asks questions, be grateful for blessings. Don't ever change, keep the essence of power is in the people and politics we address. Always do your best, don't let the pressure make you panic. And when you get stranded and things don't go the way you planned it, dreaming the riches in a position of making a difference. Politicians are hypocrites, they don't want to listen. If I'm insane, it's the fame made a proper change. It wasn't nothing like the game, it's just me against the world. From the House of Representatives, the 59th Congress, Second Session, Citizenship of the United States, Expatriation, and Protection Abroad, Letter from the Secretary of State, Submitting Report on the Subject of Citizenship, Expatriation, and the Protection Abroad. Page 459, Section Morocco. Morocco. Sir, there are strictly speaking no Moroccan laws relating to the citizenship of Moorish subjects in Morocco. The fundamental laws of this non-Christian country are based entirely upon the Islamic code, no part of which treats of the subject of citizenship. Page 460. There are, however, numerous treaties and conventions between the various Christian countries and the Moorish Empire, by means of which citizenship in this country is defined. But, as I understand, from the above acknowledged instructions, that it is not the desire of the Department to call for a report upon such lines, I will therefore confine these remarks to general conditions existing, which may possibly be of some use in connection with the information desired. Section 1. Citizenship in Morocco may be said to be governed by the laws pertaining to the same in other countries, with the exception that all persons residing in Morocco who cannot prove foreign citizenship or protection are considered ipso juer as Moorish subjects. 2 and 3. Moorish subjects 
lost their nationality only by becoming naturalized in or protected by another country having treaty relations with the Moorish Empire. It was established by the Convention of Madrid, concluded July 3rd, 1880, as follows. Article 15. Any subject of Morocco who has been naturalized in a foreign country and who shall return to Morocco shall, after having remained for a length of time equal to that which shall have been regularly necessary for him to obtain such naturalization, choose between entire submission to the laws of the empire and the obligation to quit Morocco, unless it shall be proved that his naturalization in a foreign country was obtained with the consent of the government of Morocco. Foreign naturalization heretofore acquired by subjects of Morocco according to the rules established by the laws of each country shall be continued to head them as regards all its effects without any restriction. The above ruling has never yet been acted upon, and should this at any time be contemplated seriously, a large number of naturalized people, American and others residing in Morocco, would be affected thereby. 4 and 5. Residence in foreign parts does not affect the nationality of Moorish subjects, and the Moorish government has no means of protecting its subjects permanently residing in other countries, with the exception of a so-called Moorish consul at Gibraltar and a Moorish agent at Cairo, Egypt. I am ETC Hoffman Philip. Google United States Code Title 22, Chapter 2, Section 141. Consular Courts. Act August 1st, 1956. Repealed Sections 141 to 143, effective upon the date which the President determined to be appropriate for the relinquishment of jurisdiction of the United States in Morocco. Jurisdiction of the United States in Morocco was relinquished by memorandum of President Eisenhower dated September 15, 1956. Notice was given to Morocco on October 6, 1956, and all pending cases were disposed of by 1960. See Bulletin of the State Department, Volume 35, colon 909, page 844. Sections 141, R.S. Sections 4083, 4125, 4126, 4127, Act June 14, 1878, Chapter 193, 20 Statute 131, related to judicial authority generally of ministers and consuls of United States in China, Siam, Turkey, Morocco, Muscat, Abyssinia, Persia, and territories formerly part of the Ottoman Empire, including Egypt. 
uh, Bashar, and he also knows that North America or the America North America is known as Al Maghreb Al Aqsa. Of course, I know that North America was known as Al Maghreb Al Aqsa, and it reported to the Sultan of Morocco. And there was a relation. This is why I needed to ask you, what's the relation between the first, you know, colonials and the uh, uh, governors of Morocco, because they con con communicated, because in on paper it was part of Greater Morocco. That's it, known. That's known. But I, I, I need and to know. from Jordan. Yes. Palestinian. Yes. And he Palestinian, Jordanian, Arab, Canadian. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> We know that we one of the seeds of Moses. Yeah. So, 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 so you're from. So, where are you from again? I was born in. I was born in the island Martinique, French island. Mm -hmm. and of course, we are descendant of from Egyptian. 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 Yes. Okay. So over there, they still ref, refer to our people as Moors, correct? Yes. So why do you think over here in America, these same people who are brought from the same land, yes, when we tell them that they're Moors, what what why, why do you think that is? Because, why? because the, uh, um, after so many generations, if it's not cast down, you will lose. So therefore, listen good what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. A man that do not know his own identity, when he is giving one, he will simply believe. Mm -hmm. He will simply believe what he's not. You're right. So therefore, you will act as a stranger to your own identity. Because you only believe on somebody after you that. Yeah. So you act opposite to truly what you are. Yeah. Do you think do you think it's more pressure because of the economic power? I guess the European have put the laws on, so they just believe, hey, it's the, that that's that's what it is. We're we're no we're blacks now. We're blacks. Like, does that make sense? Like, you're just a color. You no, have no nationality. No, you have no history. That's, that's my point. If you was not stuck now, and you have to understand, another to 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 to, I would say not a lie because everybody lies. That is a thing of life. But how can I say that is deceived? Mm -hmm. To deceive, to deceive one, you have to replace, to take one thing out and replace it by another. Yeah. Okay. The blind, so the black is the black. So therefore, they just is your black, but they don't realize no, just they stole your identity from you. So therefore, you might not know who you are. Yeah. So you just give your color black, black. What the yeah. heck is black? Yeah. Because what we're trying to tell them, like a lot of the things that are going on with our people with the injustice. It's because of the system and what they call themselves and what they recognize themselves. They don't. They don't have any law. They don't. There's no law for for black people in this country. Like you're not even supposed to be a part of this country. So therefore, what nation are you from? You see. But you like you said. You know, when you take your history, you know. People will say, well, big deal. So what? Why is history important at all? History is extremely important. Imagine if if I could take from each one of you as an individual everything you knew about life up to last week and just erase it. Where would you be? You, you'd be lost. You, you'd be incompetent. You wouldn't know how to plan for the future. And you do the same thing with a people. If you erase their history or you don't tell enough about their past, they also become incompetent and they can't fulfill the future. And that's why a lot of people in the black community have felt, well, how come all of the dreams of the civil rights movement aren't yet fulfilled? And one reason is because this history is still suppressed. 
It still isn't taught, but there's been a recent discovery which is going to blow the lid off of all that, and that's what I'm going to talk about. You've had four of these major impacts that the black people have made to the Americas, not only before Columbus was born, but before even Spain or Italy existed. That's, that's the kind of, of roots that are in this country. And by knowing that, and the more you know about it, it's an empowerment. You're, you're really rude. You you're, have got a heritage which is more than slavery. Sure, there was slavery, but that's not all. That's a small part of it. Long before that, there's a heritage of kings, seafarers, religious missionaries, and they were all here. But it happened so long ago, there's just so little of it left. But some adults have difficulty handling that. What connects it up is even the word more, because it's pronounced differently in different parts of even of Africa. And they call themselves more, more, more. There's all variations of that. So they, even the name more. And individuals are missing the point. What conversation stop it? I'm a more. Got sense enough to know I'm a Moor. And ain't gonna never argue with you that I'm not a Moor. And wouldn't come in your house or come among you and say I'm a Moor if I didn't feel in my heart, in my mind, in my soul that I am. If you don't understand that, get that together real quick. And recognize how you've been miseducated, not just by Europeans, but by your own. These people know that you're not black. They don't doubt it. They know that you're not black. And they know that you're Moors. All right, all right, all right. Peace to the God. We back. Um, so I was just sitting here talking to the person in the chat, right? And they, they said I wouldn't touch on what natural person is versus an unnatural person, right? So let's let's talk about it real quick before we go to the call lines. Now, this has everything to do with consent, right? And whether or not you consent to being a U.S. citizen, right? Or, because it's a contract. Now, in jurisprudence, a natural person right is some commonwealth countries is a person in legal meanings who has its own legal personality that is an individual human being as opposed to a legal person uh in legis a corporate fiction right or any of those type of things now we can talk about business entities non-governmental organizations things of that particular nature now historically a human being and i want you to remember this right all capital letters right denotes that something's a corporation so Let's say, for instance, your name was uh, John Bay, right? And John Bay was your spiritual name, and you wanted to do business as John Bay. Well, John Bay could do business as John Bay, right? But John Bay had to be all capital letters doing business, and John Bay lowercase. So historically, right, a human being was not necessarily a natural person in some jurisdictions, right? And this is where slavery existed, Right, so subject to a property right, right, rather than a person. So somebody asked me once. They says, um, "And you're right. It is an oxymoron, right? Because the, even using the word uh, person is natural, right? So technically, you'd be a natural human being. You understand? So um, somebody asked me recently. They says, "Well, you know, what's your nation of birth? Well, I was born in the free republic of Kansas, right? Kansas was always a." free state, 
right? So you always hold your, uh, you know, your domicile, right? Or I should say your, uh, your nationality from where you're from. Now, in many cases, fundamental human rights implicitly grant only to natural persons the right of having what they call human rights. Okay? So when they start talking about the 14th Amendment and codes and all of that shit, right? That's granted to people who are considered basically uh, what we call illegacies. Okay? Now, the 19th Amendment to the federal constitution states the person cannot be denied the right to vote based on their sex or the section 15 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees equality rights apply only to natural persons now here's the thing right even though they gave you a quote unquote birth certificate right that birth certificate was a certificate of naturalization to naturalize you but when you authenticated it it pulled you out. It made you once again have a, uh, have the status of a person that has full faith and credit, right? So it gave you the status of a quote-unquote natural person from a legal person. So a corporation or non-governmental organization, right, can file a lawsuit or own property as a legal person because they wrote that into their law. But it doesn't have superior claim over the so-called natural person okay so yeah now real quick let's talk about naturalization because it's important right now naturalization is the legal act or the process by which a non-citizen of a country may acquire some type of citizenship or nationality of that country right and it can be done automatically by a statute right or by some type of consent but it may involve an application or a motion or an approval. But if you didn't know, right, that you were being so-called naturalized or what they call repatriated, it wouldn't involve you. See, the rules of naturalization vary from country to country, but typically they include the promise to obey, to uphold the country's laws, taking an oath of allegiance, right, and can specify other requirements such as uh, maybe residency. Right or adequate knowledge, right? Now to counter multiple citizenships, right? Because in the United States they don't want you to have dual citizenship. Let's just keep it real, right? They want you to be a U.S. citizen. Okay, so renunciation actually causes the loss of original citizenship. Okay, now if you didn't go back into some type of status, then you would become what they call stateless. So being a more, right, being a natural person or a natural human being puts you under the rights of human rights, right? So then nobody can come in and violate your human rights. So for all the human rights violations that occur, because people love to, you know, they love to claim that they got all of these rights, which are really privileges that have been given to them under corporate law, right, by consent, because your parents signed off on that birth certificate. But the birth certificate itself, because it's your property, right? You're the I'm the beneficial owner of all the birth certificates that were issued in the allegiance that my parents assigned to me. That's my property. Doesn't make me uh, 
any less of a human being. Right? Remember, the name on the birth certificate more than likely was a slave owner's name. So who's the slave owner? Okay. All right, let's go to the call line. Let's go to 347-422. You're on the line. Three four seven four two two. You're on the line. Speak now for ever hold peace. Peace, peace, peace. Hello, peace. What up? Yo, what up? Peace. What's going on, God? Happy fiscal New Year. I'm so happy and thankful, Lord, for the money coming to me quickly and easily. I, I spread that for everyone listening, as well as you, Sensei. Thank you. Um, I'm questioning. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I'm online and I'm on the phone. Give <laughs> me a little volume for these things. Um, I'm presently going through a um a contract situation. Uh, I <laughs> moved out, and um, I know the landlord played with the security deposit. They didn't give me the money back, and they had 14 days as far as New York State law has in regards to uh, landlord and tenant <clears throat> rules. Hold on, I'm going to go to the code right now because I'm, I'm ready. Um, I've been there three years, paid on time and everything, um, and not to before the end of the year, I moved out. Uh, uh, end of uh, November And um, Yeah as I was saying They had 14 days to give me money, My money back And they they, She <laughs> The landlord is, is playing Okay there's damage on the property Nothing ever was said Throughout the month of December Until I asked When my deposit was coming back So now okay. All of a sudden, there's damage to the property. Um, okay. Well, but it was never, all, never said damage. Huh? First of all, where's the Repeat? proof that there's some damage? Where's the proof that there's damage? What proof is there? The, she took pictures and sent me the pictures. She said um, there's damage to the cabinet. So, long story short. So, so hold on, hold, um, on, hold on, hold on. First of all, good. First of all, did she come? Did she come into your property and give you notice that she was coming? No. Did she, she didn't you, even she do it with me. She was supposed to do it with me. Nope. She's supposed to do it with you. I moved. I was already out. I was okay. already out. <clears throat> so I was so, just waiting for so, my security so, deposit. Okay. So so then that brings up the question. You were already out of the premises. They said there was damage to the property. Okay. Did you take your own picture? My phone crapped out. So I had to reboot my whole phone system, and I can't even have any backup for that. However, the damages that she's showing me, it doesn't look like brand new scratches. But she claims that uh, the, the, the cabinets were taken care of and, and refurnished and was done before I moved in. So now mm-hmm. the damage was as a result of me being there for the time that I was there is the claim. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. said, no, 
I disagree with that because I'm a simple guy. I don't do nothing. I work a lot. I kid you not. I work a lot. I'm one of those 60 to 100 hour individuals a week, two jobs. And she knows that. That's why she's playing games with, okay, I'm going to deduct whatever so that we can uh, uh, change over the cabinets. However, in studying the law, thanks to Joey Bouncell Bay, Joey uh, Ali, <laughs> I studied law. You and Jonah encouraged me to do thank that. So now I thank you. I'm thinking the whole team, oh, my gosh, I'm studying so much laws, and I'm saying these people are violating like, like they can't get sued. So now, well, listen. I've been, I'm under. First, I saw all, that. I've been, first of all, I've been saying this all year. I've been saying this all year to people. Okay, there's motherfuckers out here that that are intentionally doing things to make people residents, take people's property. Okay, and they're doing it uh, with malice. They're doing it with bad, bad, bad faith, as I should say. Right? They're doing it with unclean hands. Right? They're not giving people full knowledge of the facts. Okay, and then the fact is, is that if somebody's coming into your your personal property, right, because you have a contract to lease that personal property for a certain amount of time, right, that doesn't number one, it doesn't give them the right to just come when they want to inspect the property without giving you some type of notice and having you there, okay, especially if it was in the contract. So there's that, okay. So motherfucker, you gotta give me a date and a time, and your ass is gonna show up over here. No, okay, I was already. Up. I gave her a forty-five day notice, and okay, the, so you gave the situation is funny because out. she had forty-five days notice. I was I was there, and never did we look to go inside and see if there's any damage to the property. So now, mm-hmm. with that said, I left, and it wasn't until I asked for my security deposit that, that I hear all the all this damage, and she asked proof. She showed me pictures. And I'm saying, okay, okay, okay. Well, now, well, to like save I said, everybody. You take pictures before you moved out, though. No, that's that's why I, I didn't know if you heard me. My phone messed up. I did take pictures. However, it messed up. I have an Android phone, and I didn't back it up to the cloud. So, I, I unfortunately, nah, I lost it. However, well, she had 14 well, days well, to off, even give me any type of dispute. Go ahead. Well, well, first off, if you're if you're in New York, right, and um, the law there, right, that uh, governs that particular type of contract, right, um, specifies that you're supposed to get you know the deposit back within a certain amount of time. Certain issues have to be brought up within a certain amount of time, and those things should be brought up. You understand? And if yeah. they haven't been brought up, right, then that gives you some type of right to recourse. Step up and say, "Hey, wait a minute! Y'all didn't, y'all didn't give me full knowledge of everything. You know what I'm saying? And you're a little late. You understand? This is why yeah. man, it's very important to understand what's on that goddamn contract with with these people. People play a lot of games. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and this is why equity. New York is 14 days. Of, yeah, this is why the equity court exists, right? The 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 superior courts exist, right? Because a lot of times people do shit to, just to get over, right? To claim some type of right to something. I mean, I, I, you know, I had a guy do that to me years ago. You know, he, I was supposed to get my, my goddamn deposit back, you know, and all of a sudden there's issues. But this motherfucker had mold in the place. 
And it's like, well, wait a minute, dude. The mode is because of your lack of, you know, doing shit properly. And then he took his time getting rid of the mold. So it's like, motherfucker, but then you try to keep my, my motherfucking deposit. So you have to really look at these things holistically. Like, wait a minute, dude. You, you know, you're not doing everything that you, that you agree to as the person who technically owns the property, right? Nine times out of ten, they don't own the fucking property anyways. Nine times out of ten, you know who owns the property? I'll tell you who owns the property. The goddamn landlord. I mean, the, uh, the bank owns the property. Right? So it's not paid off. Real important to get this. So, um, what I've discovered... But what I would do... In, in, what I would do is I, I would make sure that you read thoroughly through whatever agreements you sign with. Okay? And step up to the contract. Step to these people. Step to them properly. I mean, you know, thing is, we all going through some shit, you know, that may t- it may take you a while to clear up, but equity is always on your side. You know, justice, as they call it, right? Always is on the side of, of those who who have been doing things with good hand, with good faith, clean hands, right? Clean hands. Motherfuckers who had good intentions. So, so you know, hear me, guys. and I would always advise you to, when you move, when you move out of place, make sure you, when you move out of somewhere, dude, make sure you take pictures. That's always an important thing to do. Yes, yes. However, initially, when moving in to the apartment, and I, I give the security, we're supposed to put the money in the trust fund, in the holding trust, mm-hmm. because that would make mm-hmm. her a trustee, and she cannot mm-hmm. come. Mingle it with her personal funds, because then she loses all holdings. That's New York State law, and I know it for a fact. That's what was done. Well, 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 but here's the thing: how would you, how would you know that that was done, right? Did she give you, did she give you permission to look into her personal records? No, she, she said she, she, she to wait for the funds. So I, I, I just waited. Patiently, and yeah, it wasn't until my, my, I said, my "When question, am I going to get question, my funds?" Go ahead. Right, but my question to you is: You said that she co-mingled funds. How would you know that she did that? No, I don't know, but I I, I largely presume because I well, mean, you can't I, make presumptions in the, in the perfect world. In the perfect world, she would have gave me the funds perfect, right when I was leaving. That's correct, but it, but in a perfect in a perfect world, this would have been done. So if, let's say yeah. somebody did commingle the funds, right? They did do that. Then obviously, you know, like for instance, if somebody was supposed to put those funds into the trust, or those funds were supposed to directly come to, let's say, you know, um, the, the rightful beneficiary of those funds, and they and they didn't reach you, right? Or or whoever the so-called beneficiary of those funds are, then not only do you need some type of substantiary proof of this. Right, but that's not really your decision to decide, right? Because then, then they can say, "Well, how does this person know I didn't do the right thing with the funds?" You understand? So, mm-hmm. if I was you, you know, I mean, in this particular instance, you know, what you have to go off of is is what you have that works in your favor. Okay, that's what I would do. 
I think okay. you know we probably need to talk in private. I don't want to go too much more. No, no, I got you. I got you. Um, yes. but I appreciate you bringing that up. I think, like you I know, say. equity is everything. So Contract. thank you, brother. I appreciate yes, it. We'll indeed. talk soon. Peace, peace. Yes. Peace. I say. All right, let's go to uh, five eight five three two eight. You're on the line. Five eight five three two eight. Nothing, huh? All right, let's go to the next caller. Let's go to three one six three zero eight. You're on the line. Peace to the God. What's good, brother Joy? What's happening? How you doing? Man, I'm doing wonderful, magnificent, and great, as always, brother. And I'm so happy and thankful that large, gigantic, enormous sums of money come to me quickly and easily always. Okay. I'm uh, I'm so happy that they come to me, too. Large sums of money quickly and easily. I'll say. And effortlessly. And righteously. Always and forever. So what's good? Man, loving loving your topic this evening as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually thought it was interesting because right before I had jumped on your show, uh, my wife had uh, looked at a little uh, bit uh, my bad. Uh, can you hear me now? Is that better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the uh, so the wife, she was looking through the news, right? Uh, on her phone and an uh, article had came through and I don't know if you ever seen that 70s show that used to come on TV before uh, there was a gentleman uh, that was a character on there his name was Hyde right and he just recently had got into an actual lawsuit I guess or, or an altercation where supposedly a young lady was accusing him of rape right and so they told her that they actually couldn't do any determination on her court case until the Scientology actually was able to do something with him because he's a part of the Scientology, um, you know, whole group and everything. So I thought that was interesting, you know, because that kind of shows about jurisdictions, you know what I'm saying, and and governing self as far as who's got power over what, or ownership or control. Mm. Well, there we go again. You know, it goes back to some type of uh, religion, right, or, or mm-hmm. religious, uh, you know, sect, if you will. This is why there are some countries out there, right, um, depending upon which country we're talking about, right, that don't have designated religions. This is why some people in some countries actually get a piece of everything, right, depending mm-hmm. on where you at. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, Scientology is a, is a that, that's an interesting um Concept, anyways, you know, but you know, Tom Cruise is supposedly a Scientologist. But I tell you what, what's really uh, a dominating factor is that uh, you know, unincorporated associations are also technically considered to be uh, under religion, uh, under some type of uh, practice, but some motherfuckers call cults, right? You know, so Scientology is, you know, I mean. They're, they're organized, pretty sure, as a 501c3. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was interesting, you know what I'm saying? Because it was, 
it was, you know, a pretty high profile case just because, you know, he's, he's supposedly quote unquote an actor, you know? And so you have this high profile case of, you know, being accused of rape, but they're telling her like, we can't pursue it because of this initial jurisdiction that he already has over him. Right. Well, I mean, then that's what it is. But I tell you like mm-hmm. this, though, you also have to be able to prove that shit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's nothing against nothing against women or, or any or anybody really who's been in that particular predicament, right? Because I feel for anybody, right? It shouldn't happen to anybody. Um, but you know, the fact is, is that you know, uh, jurisdiction is jurisdiction. Exactly. Yeah. And and and, and, that's, and that's, 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 that's I thought that was a good example. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, here's the thing, right? A lot of people don't really get it. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, this is why religion, it was very important when it came down to things like, uh, and it still is, it comes down to things like protecting uh, your your consciousness, right? Your consciousness, Mm -hmm. as they say, right? What you believe to be correct. There's some things in religion, you know, some religions that, you know, are disagreeable with other people, you know? I mean, you know, and it's, you know, Christian Jews consider you to be um, an adult at fourteen. Right, that's true. Okay. I mean, you know, some religions it's it's okay for men to marry younger women. You know, I mean, it just depends on what tradition you're from. Not saying that it's morally okay, but you know, these people have have done certain things where you know they've done things in their favor. You know, and and so you know, it does require a uh, a moral person, right? A good, clean morals, right? To to understand where, where equity lies. Right. So and I, that's, that's and really I'm gonna say about that because that, that's not really yeah. You know, that ain't something my you know, I, I ain't that ain't my politics. So I stay away from shit like that. Right. I just I just thought it was a good example, you know what I'm saying, from a lot of what, what you've been preaching as far as, you know, how do you govern yourself and, and jurisdiction and, and, and understanding that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well you call it preaching, you know, that sounds like a jurisdiction too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Very true. Give me your word. But you know, Church, no, no yeah, doubt, exactly. bro. Somebody said there's no such thing as separation of church and state. Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the church is the state. You know, if you if you consider yourself to be a church, this is why I said unincorporated associations are technically churches. That's right. You know, they're entitled they're entitled to you know to what they're entitled to. Yeah, kind of. I, I I think that would kind of go back to how you were saying as far as how you conduct yourself, right? Well, yeah, and 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 even that leaves a certain uh, amount of uh, you know room, you know. Mm-hmm. Different different strokes, different folks. Exactly. You know, customs are customs. You know, people have customs. You know, that they allow you know sacraments and. You know, burning of, of candles. Those are all, you know, all of that stuff is done under custom. You know, if this is if this is part of my custom, you can't step in and, and do nothing about this. You don't have no jurisdiction over this. I have no jurisdiction over nothing I do that's considered to be part of my custom. 
So true. So true. I I just appreciate I just appreciate you jumping on with us. You know what I'm saying every Sunday because you just you know you breaking it down for us. You know what I'm saying giving us a different perspective, you know what I'm saying, as far as what we might see when we actually read it. Because, you know, sometimes we don't read the same thing, you know what I'm saying? So it's just right. it's, well, it's good know, to hear your perspective. Right. Well, I mean, the thing is, this guy, Purple Pill says, how can the church separate itself from the religion of the state? Well, it depends on, number one, what type of state it is. You know, I mean, and that, that's first and foremost, you know. But here's the thing, under, under these what they call the supreme laws, right? Religion and state are supposed to be respected. This is this is a a landmass with many countries. Very you true. Know, I mean, you know, all of the tribes, you know, essentially, uh, you know, depending on you know what type of tribe we're talking about. You know, they have a certain level of autonomy as well. You know, that's, that's right. a custom that 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 is, uh, you know, church and state, if you will. I really don't, you know, the the, the word church is is a is a very discerning word. You you know, you you can consider things to be temples, you know, uh, churches, you know, synagogues. I mean, it depends on what what we're talking about here, who you are, you know. I don't, right. I don't is like that, the is, discrimination, man. Yeah, I was going to say, is that kind of like more or less like how when we talk about person, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people try to play you like the artificial person and things of that nature instead of the natural person. Well, I'm a natural person, right? So you can't, you know, I mean, and, and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. You, you can mm-hmm. do a DBA under the same name of a natural person, right? But just because it's, it's uh, the same name, don't mean it's the same name. All capital letters don't mean it's the same name. Exactly. Right? Uppercase, mm-hmm. uppercase actually means something. You know, uh, you get a piece of mail, something is completely under the name of a fiction. It just depends on who you are. That's right. That's so right, God. It, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Purple Pill says, uh, a wise man always questions the seemingly obvious what, what question is quest I on? What is quest? Yeah. Well, what is a quest? You know. That is a question. So, right? Legend of uh, of Zorro here over here. You know what I'm saying? So, I appreciate mm-hmm. your I appreciate your uh, your input though, God. Thank you. Oh uh, no, I appreciate you, God. Like I said, you you put it down for us. You give us your perspective, and you know what I'm saying. That's all we can ask for. Yeah. Well, you know. Legal fiction. I ain't no legal fiction. I ain't no Fourteenth Amendment. You know. Hey, I ain't uh, either. I ain't God. Gonna, you ain't gonna play me like that. <laughs> no, you ain't. You know. And, you know. And like I said, there's a lot of niggas out here that know what's going on and don't speak up. You know. You niggas better speak up. Speak your mind. Help your fellow brother out. You, you see somebody. Well, you know what I think it is. That needs to be dealt with. Raise the fuck up. Don't be no fucking punk. No, you know what I think it is a lot of times, though, God, I'm not even going to front with you. I, you know what I think it is a lot of times, though? I think a lot of times, though, a lot of us guys don't even don't even feel like we even fully understand it to even be able to delegate it to the next person. So I think for a lot of us, we need to go and do our own further research to be able to help our fallen humanity. You know what I'm saying? 
not instead of just listening to your perspective and everything, but actually doing our own research so we better understand it. Well, I'm going to tell you like this. Some people know a lot more than what they talk about. You know, we this is a, a time of, of information that we get, right? We we are no longer, you know, in a stuck age, right? We're no right. longer in the age of where information has to be disseminated in such a way where people are lied to. Give people the truth. Mm-hmm. Give people the opportunity to seek truth. Give people the opportunity to, to correct mistakes, to right wrongs, to do things properly. That's equity. Equity is, 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 is not based in, you know, equity and equality is two different things. Slaves want equality. Free people get equity. I'm free. I want equity. I'm free. Goddamn in legis, right? That, that they want to put on a birth certificate. It was born free, right? They created mm-hmm. a fiction, right? And, and then expect you to be under a fiction. Right. Fuck that fiction. Right? That's your property. That, my fiction is my property. That's right. I'm not controlled by uh, 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 somebody's uh, idea Right Or you know of, of, of what this fiction should or should not do That's right, right? Natural You govern your own fiction That's right Uni- Universal God Right And depends Facts. on how you want to use that word God Right Allah Creator You know You're right, though, God. Bodhisattva, Buddha. I mean, you can put whatever title you want on it, right? Because that's basically a title, right? What kind of title is it, though? I would assume assume a title title of nobility is what I would assume. But then again, I, I could be looking at it wrong. Well, listen, listen. Title of, titles of nobility, right? Under the mm-hmm. 14th Amendment, they don't want you to have titles of nobility, but once you get a title of nobility, they can't take it away from you. They can't tell you how to use it and how not to use it. Right. Especially when it comes to religion, right? Especially when it comes down to things like religion. Okay? When it comes down to things like the dictates of your own conscience. It's in their own... It's in their law. It's, listen, it, it's in their law. Right, no corruption yeah, it's, of it's, blood. You can't, you, you, you can't right. corrupt who, you know, who I choose to be. Uh, I am whatever I say I am. Mm-hmm. But I'm not a subject. I'm not a citizen. I'm not a. I, I, I'm not a U.S. citizen. U. S. citizen. Right. I'm not a a, a a state citizen. Right. I'm a national. Mm-hmm. In, entitled to all of. The protection and the laws, right, that protect the nationals, right, and their property, and set them at what you would call uh, liberty, right, with all of their papers and effects and assets, right, mm-hmm. forever. Motherfucker, you ain't gonna right. you gonna take my shit and then and then try to control me. I'm not to be controlled. 
Facts. You want to control something, motherfucker? Go, go to the pet store and and and, and buy your uh, animal. But but we're not animals. I'm not an animal. I'm not a dog. Don't walk. I don't walk on four legs. I'm sorry. And if you don't if you don't understand the importance of why he's putting that on the record, then you need to go do your research. Because not putting it on the record and not expressing it is basically being acquiescent. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, no, I'm not none of them colorable things, right? I, I mean, you gotta put shit on the record, right? This is a, this is quote unquote a record. Okay. Yeah, it's a public forum. Colorable shit. Facts. You know, some people want, some people want, you know, your title for control. You know, some people want to take what you have for control, right? You can't tell a motherfucker mm-hmm. how to be. Fuck, I'll be whoever I want to be on any goddamn given day. Yep, whatever you now, choose, you want to be. This land, yeah, in, indigenous, right? Now, when we talk about titles of nobility, right, if, you, if you're claiming – because, see, here's the thing, right? Even, even sometimes when you're using certain – Things that people have considered as titles of nobility, you have to be careful with those. So, you know, you are who you are, right? You're indigenous mm-hmm. to this land. I'm indigenous. My ancestors been here from from since time immemorial, whatever that word is, right? Right. Was never U.S. citizen, right? Never could was, be. And, and even the word slave, I, I don't even really like that word because if you know anything about history. We're really talking about prisoners of war, people who, who exactly were were forced into some, into some type of assimilation. People who who were forced to become, uh, uh, you know, subjects. People who who had the right right to vote. People who were naturally already the trustees and the settlers and the beneficiaries of their own their own shit, their own state, and then it was taken away from. Right, without mm-hmm. consent, and then later passed down, right, to generations of misconception, bad contracts, fraud and the rest. You know, and, and most um, most hospitals, right, they forced the, the damn uh, application on your parents. Yep. Yes, they did. They didn't fully explain to them what went down. Yeah, they didn't explain what to them the ramifications of the contract. What was going to go down? Y'all didn't explain that to me fully, what was going to really go down in this contract? Yeah. yeah, you didn't give me all the details. You know, it's not on just the person who accepted the contract to understand it. It's also on the person who gives you the contract to fully explain What's all in the contract? And, and if you try to change that motherfucker, a couple of days later, because if you look at if you look at a lot of contracts, a lot of these contracts, people change them. You got to give somebody due notice that you're making a, a change. They're gonna just change some shit on me and not give me due notice. I want my due notice. Yeah. Because you made a change. And don't you have to do due notice within seventy-two hours? Yeah. Well, 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 listen. Due notice is supposed to be done. You're supposed to give me proper notice from from the time that you made the change. 
Right, right. Within like 24 or 72 hours or something, as, as far as reasonable time, that is, for due notice. Exactly. But no, God, I just, I, like I said, I appreciate you disseminating, disseminating this information to us every Sunday, God. I just want to uh, encourage you to keep disseminating this information because, you know, a lot of us just enjoy listening to your voice. You know what I'm saying? And giving us I your point of view. You. Thanks for coming, bro. Peace to the God. For sure, God. Peace to the God. All right, we're going to take one more call, then we out of here. Let's go to uh, 636-249. on the line. Yo, yo, peace. Peace to the God. So, peace, what's going God. on, Joe? What's going on? How you doing? Good. How you doing, bro? All right. Yeah, wonderful, magnificent, great, and all that good stuff. And <laughs> you know what I'm rushing. Um, I want the best for everybody. I will the best for everybody. So, um, yeah, so I'm talking about the contracts, you can send me stuff like that. I wanted to say to you, I wanted to find out, okay, like what is, probably got like two questions. I want to know what, what is the significance of, um, well, what I'm getting ready to say it ties into minimum contact, rescinding, and tort law. I mean, I mean, without the trust. I'm not messing with no tort law when it comes down to trust. So I want to say, was um, what is the significance of uh, like rescinding like a uh, a Fourteenth Amendment, Fourteenth Amendment, Amendment citizen's uh, driver's license? If you already got that stuff recorded, you know, you know what I'm saying you got it up on the UCC. Well, well, first of all, well, yeah, and first of all. First of all, right? That's not real. They call it real identification. Okay, so it's not. And, and I've read this before, right? Last year, that the Department of State even said that having a quote-unquote driver's license does not make you a U.S. citizen, right? And it doesn't okay. it doesn't make you subject to their to their particular statutes and code. I got to the very first point that you said. What 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 place? I can hear the very beginning part that you said. I said that having a driver's license, right, yeah. does not make you quote unquote a citizen. Okay. It's it's okay. it's under it's under the manual for the Department of State. Manual Department of State. Okay. Okay. That's a good one. All right. Department of State. Department of State. Okay. Um. No right. Ooh, okay, so that's sums that up. I mean, I was trying to figure out like what's the significance really of rescinding, and then I was going to say to you like, especially if your stuff is suspended, because I was thinking like, yo, um, like my stuff was never expired. You know, my stuff still got years mm-hmm. on it, a couple of years or whatever. So I'm just like, yo, I never rescinded that. Is it really necessary if I already put this stuff on record? Yo, this stuff really belongs to the leagues, which I own the leagues. So, well, yeah, are. exactly. I mean, I mean, the thing is, is you know, for instance, right? Um, they give you a, a piece of identification and say that it's not real ID, or they automatically reissue something to you that was supposed to be expired that you're supposed to, you know, go back in and sign a new contract for, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't automatically right. make you a state citizen. Okay. It doesn't automatically. Right? That doesn't what about those new ID? Say that again? 
uh, I was about the new ones. You know, the new ones here, even here in Missouri. You know, uh, the new ones in Missouri, uh, where it has the, the the gold symbol in there, whatever the state. It's like they saying that you pretty much need these now just to travel airport and stuff like that. All I know, you know is that. All I know is that the real ID, number one, is what what they consider to be the passport and any uh, international uh, without the United States identification that you may have, like a tribal identification. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. the passport, right? If it's issued mm-hmm. lawfully, right, with a certain name, depending upon what you sent them, right? And when I say what you sent them, I'm talking about any explanatory statements, right? Then they then they should know who you are. Exactly. Exactly. I'm gonna tell you too. Uh, the tr- the tribe and that doesn't, guess, and that doesn't make that name, that doesn't make that name improper. That's why I said you can do a DBA. That doesn't make it improper. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, I'm gonna tell you too the uh, the certificate of national nationality card that you uh, that mm-hmm. I got from you a while ago, years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, yo, I told you that Jordan worked at Walmart. You know, uh, they, they I mean it was a little difficult at first, but I got it to go through. Um, this thing also works with Amazon. <laughs> so I'm just saying this thing mm-hmm. it actually it, it works. It works. And um, so so uh, my next question. Uh, you know what? Forget about that. Okay, I got something real simple. I don't know how to spell Ashe. How do you spell Ashe? How do you spell Ashe? I've been trying to find out how you spell that word for like a minute now. Like, I spell it my own way. I don't know how you actually spell it. Well, how do you spell it? I spell it A N K S A Y. Is that way off? Ashe? Ashe? First of all, how how do you spell it with an N, brother? That that don't that don't even sound like it. Well, you know, a- I put the N in there because like uh-huh. all, like all the time, you know, we got like U N K. Like I know K means Cam means black, so I always you know I usually see when it come down to um, different um, language linguistics or whatever. Um, they you know our stuff usually have like an N K up in there, so that's why I put the N up in there. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, like I said, I, spell, I don't know how to spell. How do you spell it? You know, <laughs> of course I know. I can't. I've been trying to spell it joint right for a minute. Now. That, spe- that's a Yoruba title. That's for you know. That that's you know. It's and, and technically that's African. Right. Okay. So, so that's, that would be the place to look for it. Right? Of course I know. You know exactly how to spell. It depends on your connotation of the meaning. Right? I'll leave it at that. Yeah. But of course, I know how it's spelled. Why don't you type it in into Google or Yahoo or any of those? No, I type that thing. I've typed in the, the meaning and everything. That I, I mean, you know, so it is. Is that that's always been my understanding of the word? I, I mean, I've, I've used the word many times, a long time. Right. Ago. Well, and, well, we'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, well, we'll hey, so, so you also said that you're going to post up the dates and stuff for everything, right? For well, everything, everything you, know, you know, and, and y'all can, uh, you know, as long as you're a private member, you know, you'll okay. be able to okay. uh, repeat. Okay, for okay. sure. All right, yeah, well, peace to the guys. All right, brother. All right, thank you. Tonight, I'm going to say that. I'm, I'm gonna leave it at that. All right. Um, I'll check you out next week. Make sure that uh, go to the website if you need any products. Uh, 
if you want to book a private consultation, all right, if you want to make a donation, all right, you can hit me up. You know where I'm at. I'm going to say peace to the gods. We out of here.